Hello, welcome to Out of Curiosity. It's our podcast where we try to bring biblical clarity on modern questions. Uh, I'm Garland, this is Nick. And today our question is is one that I hear people uh, asking quite frequently in our culture and our country here today that we find ourselves in. The question goes like this. Um, What do we do when we lose our Christian nation? That's usually how it goes. How do we respond when America, as this Christian country, as the question goes, as the culture, as, as some in our culture seem to think, how do we respond when it seems like the Christian nation that we are to be is going out the window? Hmm. Yeah, it's, it's a good question. It's one that uh, you do get asked a lot. I think we, we could go one of two routes on this. One would be to critique the question and ask were we a Christian nation to begin with? What does that even mean to be a Christian nation? Um, And what is this glory day of Christian America that we've lost? Um, There's a lot of people who've written on that and and analyzed that question, and I'm I'm not going to go that route. Let's just, I think everyone will admit there is a seismic shift happening in America Mm -hmm. of worldview, of how we approach truth, how we approach morality and faith, and it affects government. Mm -hmm. And government policy reflects that shift. Mm -hmm. Um, I I would argue that it's not as much that the government has created the cultural shift as much as the cultural shift is reflected in government policy. And so as culture shifting, it is shifting away from a Judeo-Christian worldview, um, seeing the world in a bi- through a biblical lens. I think that is, is unmistakable, and people have done the studies to see that. So how do we respond? Mm-hmm. And how do we respond as we increasingly see laws passed that seem to reflect a different worldview from our own? Mm-hmm. Um, and I think, I think we have to make some shifts in our thinking. And I actually think they're, they're good shifts. I think they're probably how we should have been approaching it all along, and this change demands that we recognize it. Uh, The first shift that I think is important, it it comes from Russell Moore's book, Onward, where he's addressing this issue. And he suggests that we have to make a shift from thinking of ourselves as a moral majority to a prophetic minority. And so the, the concept of the moral majority was one that grew out of evangelicalism in the 80s. And the idea was this, that the argument was there's this agenda to upend Christian morals and it's argued by a really loud, small minority. But the rest of us Americans, we all have the moral view, um, and therefore let's argue for our majority and make sure we protect laws that protect that majority. Mm -hmm. Whether that was true or not, um, it is definitely not true now on a lot of fronts. And I think we need to ask the question, was that ever the right way to argue? Is a majority, that sounded really good when we thought we had the majority. And in a democratic nation, that sounds like a really good argument. Majority of the people believe this, so why would we have a law against it? That sounds like a great argument, as long as you're in the majority. Right. But our view of truth and ethics has never been based on being in the majority. Mm-hmm. Uh, the New Testament church was absolutely not in the majority. They were a tiny minority. So to stake our Christian position on the idea of being in the majority was a mistake to begin with. Right. And so one of the things Moore suggests that I think is really great is he says, we have to get comfortable being weird again. We're terrified of being people with an odd view. Because in, in a mainstream media culture, you don't want to be the marginalized people. You want to try to show that your view is mainstream, that it is really acceptable, and we want to be accepted. Right. Um, but the reality is the Christian church has thrived when it is exceptional. 
Say that quote again. We have to be okay we have to being be, weird again. Being weird again. Get okay being weird again. Mm-hmm. We need to get a, be okay that people are going to think our sexual ethic is weird. Mm-hmm. That our view of marriage is backwards. That it doesn't make sense. That the way we do community, the way we do life, um, the way we treat people who are different than us, it needs to look different than culture. And, and a lot of the black marks on the church, a lot of our you know, big wounds and mistakes come from when we failed to do that. Mm-hmm. When um, for, for racial equality and civil, civil rights, we looked like the majority. Mm-hmm. We, we looked like the racist majority instead of being a prophetic minority mm-hmm. that recognized the image of God in every person. And so um, I think the one shift we have to make is to, to embrace that role of prophet. If you read the Old Testament prophets, they look like nuts. Mm-hmm. They, they, they are weird in their culture. And that was a sweet spot for them to be. When the nation was going against God, that didn't phase them. They actually rose up and gave us some of the greatest prophetic literature of the Old Testament. Mm-hmm. And so can we be a people who are really comfortable being odd and arguing for truth and justice because it's right, not because we think we're in the majority. Right. But we're comfortable being in a minority and saying this is true and we're going to live it whether the majority recognize it and not be threatened by that. We feel terribly threatened when we recognize, ooh, the, the majority, the momentum of the nation is going away from us. That's actually not a threat. We should be really comfortable being in the minority, um, which goes against everything in us, especially as Americans that just really want, you know, you think the, the day after an election where your party loses, you feel scared. You feel, where's the country going? It's leaving me behind. And when your party wins, you feel safe and secure. Right. Our safety and security never came from having the majority voice in Washington. Yeah, that's good. And so we need to be really comfortable that the king on the throne is who gives us our safety and security, whichever way the winds of trends blow in America. So that'd be the first shift. Um, The second one, and this one comes from Robert Cup, who's a mentor, both of ours, who planted fellowship. And he argued when he was addressing one particular cultural issue, we have to move from trying to leverage political power to powerful persuasion. Political power says, here's an issue that I don't like, so let me rally up enough support, money, and votes to get a law to force things to change. And the problem is that is completely counter-Christian values. Right. That is a, an outside-in, I'm going to force change by legislation, and everything about the way gospel transformation happens is by changing hearts. How do you change hearts? You be persuasive. And we have lost the art of being persuasive in the church. We've lost the art of being able to say, let me show you a better way. Let me show you why, whatever the issue is, let me show you why living this way uh, coheres better with reality, will actually lead to greater fulfillment in your life, and honors the Lord. And so we need to learn again, and, and I think the, the beginning of that persuasion comes with our own lives. Um, when we're arguing for family values, and our we're not, are our families yeah, better? Are our better? Are we, are we, our marriage is better. Our yeah. marriage is healthy. Are we good parents? Are we, you know, is there a point where that much more compelling, I think, than passing some law on marriage is if everyone in a city envies Christian marriages? Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's really good. Goes, I, I want my marriage to look like that. Right. That's persuasive. Mm-hmm. So I think one question we have to ask is do, do the values that we are arguing for? 
are they, um, are they modeling our lives in a way that is persuasive? And then I think there is good reasoning. We need to become thinkers again. We need to engage in a conversation that goes beyond shouting matches on social media and goes beyond really clever one-liner digs that sound awesome but have no substance to them to substantive arguments that really show a better way to live. And so I think that, that shift from political power to powerful persuasion, I think, I think is a really important one. Well, I might just simply add to that, yeah. like just the ability to listen. Yeah. Uh, uh, a professor at DTS uh, named Dr. John Hanna, he would always say, the very first thing you can owe someone is uh, compassion. Yeah. Just compassion, then understanding, and then bring critique. So compassion, let me figure out what your life is like. Let me listen. Let me experience what you experience. Maybe why you think that. Then let me understand what it is you believe, why you think that way. Mm-hmm. And then bring critique or bring uh, the challenge for the worldview. And so often we get that reversed. Yes. We start with critique yep. and never move to understanding or compassion. Or maybe we bring in those things way too late. And so just the ability to listen. Uh, it's hard to persuade someone when you don't know them, when you don't yeah. listen to them, when you aren't uh, walking in life with them, walking in step with them, caring for them. And so uh, what other shifts do we have? Uh, and I just want to comment on that before we do, because I think that's so good. And if you think about that's what that's what Christ did for us. Mm-hmm. Christ didn't come in and beat us up and then offer us grace. He came in and became one of us, walked among us and died for us. Um, and he, he, he empathized with us by becoming one of us, walking among us and, and really being moved with compassion for our desperate state, and then invited us to walk with him. And so, yeah, I think that's such a great, a great concept and idea and a way forward. And that that persuasion, part of persuasion, is empathy and listening. So that's good. Uh, I think the third shift is a shift from God and country to King and Kingdom. Ah, uh, yes. And so there's this this idea of God and country that that kind of blends what it is to be an American patriot and being a good religious person. And it goes back to that separation of church and state idea, but but it. it it makes it very difficult to disentangle your political beliefs that really don't have um, a clear grounding in Scripture from your faith. Mm-hmm. And when, when God and country get mixed, America succeeding is the same thing as honoring the Lord. Right. And, uh, and I, it doesn't leave any room for what if what God wants to do is let America fall to the background for the good of other peoples. Uh, there's not a lot of room for that in a God and country view. America must win at all costs in God and country. Um, versus moving to a king and kingdom view where our first allegiance is to Jesus and his kingdom. And you see this in, in the book of Daniel, where Daniel sees a vision of, of the kingdoms of the world. And there are all these beautiful, just beautifully constructed um, you know, figure, a statue. And, uh, and ultimately, a little rock comes and crushes them. And, and that rock is the kingdom of God. And the rock made without hands. Yes, it's the rock supernatural. Made hands. Supernatural rock that crushes the kingdom of the world. And at the end of the revelation, the nations rise up against Jesus. And the United States only has one of two destinies. Either we fade into history and don't exist, or one of the nations rising against Jesus. Mm-hmm. So, so we gotta get our we gotta get our allegiance. <laughs> we gotta right. get our allegiance with the one that's gonna <laughs> right. last. And so that doesn't lead to being anti-American. Right. It leads to recognizing that, that the people of America's greatest hope is to know Jesus. Mm-hmm. And, and this, this was tragically put on display for me um, in a moment that just it hit me when I was, I was uh, at a gathering and there was a gospel concert going on. 
um, these people doing kind of traditional Southern gospel stuff. And I was kind of sitting on the, outs- on the outside of the little area watching it happen. And they were doing all these old hymns. And the audience was sitting there kind of sleepily listening to the hymns, kind of halfway engaged as they heard about these concepts of Jesus' work on the cross and God's love for creation, how he's going to make all things new. And then for their closing number, they did God Bless the USA. Explosion of And I watched this crowd that had been sleepy when hearing about Jesus on the cross literally in a moment of emotional euphoria stand in (laughs) tears and raise their hands to the words, I'm proud to be an American where at least I know I'm free. And I won't forget the men who died who gave that right to me. They're more moved. And by the way, the sacrifice of, of um, veterans and people who have fought for this country is absolutely a noble sacrifice and something we should honor, cherish, and be grateful for. And when a sacrifice for the United States moves us more than the sacrifice of the Son of God on a cross, something has gotten mixed up. Mm-hmm. When we're more thankful to be American than we are to be a child of God, mm-hmm. something is backwards. And so I think we need an allegiance shift. Um, And it does not mean that we have to become anti-American. It means that we see ourselves as temporary visitors here. And just like exiles in Babylon, God told them, hey, while you're in Babylon, bless the city while you're there. Build homes, marry, and be a blessing to Babylon. But your home is Jerusalem. In the same way, our home is the kingdom of God. That's where we're going to be forever. That's, That's what we ultimately see fulfilled. And while I'm here as an American, I'm going to bless this country. Mm-hmm. And I, I want to see it go well with this country. But I think we will actually love the United States better, or where, whatever country you're in, when we love Christ most. So put, what are those three again? Yep. Same. So the first one, we got we to shift from a, a perspective of moral majority to prophetic minority. Okay. We got to shift from our focus being on political power to powerful persuasion. And then we got to shift from a focus on God and country to king and kingdom. That's helpful. That's interesting. Uh, it's for us to process yeah. and think through as, uh, as we try to love Jesus and honor him uh, with our lives in this modern world we find ourselves in. Well, thanks for listening. Thanks for watching uh, Out of Curiosity. It's our podcast where we hope to bring biblical clarity on modern questions. Thank you for listening to Out of Curiosity as we discuss how Christians can engage the modern political climate. We encourage you to look into this for yourself even more and recommend looking in Scripture at Matthew 22, 15 through 22, Matthew 5, 13 through 16, and Romans 13, 1 through 7. We also recommend the book Onward by Russell Moore and This Cultural Moment podcast. If you want to send in a question or contact us, go to oocuriosity.com and follow us on Instagram at oocuriosity. Be sure to subscribe to keep up with future episodes.